0: This is Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle. We're talking baseball in this edition specifically about the old days and maybe new days at Hinchcliffe Stadium in Patterson, the future of the famous Grand Concrete Sports Arena that was completed above the Great Falls in Patterson, New Jersey, all those years ago. And joining us is Brian Lapinto, the president of the Friends of Hinchcliffe Stadium, a nonprofit organization founded in 2002 made up of volunteers who love and respect the history of the stadium and want to preserve and revitalize it. Brian, thanks for being here.
1: Doug, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Also joining us is Larry Doby Jr., son of the great baseball Hall of Famer Larry Doby, who played for the Eastside High School team and led his teammates to the Patterson baseball title in 41 and 42, all at Hinchliff Stadium. It was there that Larry and his longtime friend, Monty Irvin, were scouted for the Newark Eagles. Monty was a guest here on Sports Jam many years ago. Larry Doby became the second black player to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball and the first to play for the American League, joining the Cleveland Indians in 1947. Larry Jr., great to see you.
2: Great to be here. Thank you, Doug.
0: It was on March 15th of 2013 that Hinchlow Stadium was officially added to the list of some 2,500 iconic places nationwide, Considered National Historic Landmarks. And the following year, the stadium was included in Patterson Great Falls National Historical Park. Hingelift was officially closed in 1997. It began a slow decline in the late 50s and was sold in 1963 for a single dollar to the Patterson Public Schools. Brian, restoring this once incredible sports palace has been a great passion of yours for some time now. Give us an update what's been going on with restoring Hinchliffe Stadium.
1: Sure. I mean, I guess to, to that point, it's either a labor of love or I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, Hinchliffe Stadium is is on its way back, which is amazing. As you've mentioned, it closed in 1997. And as we speak right now, there are construction crews there now uh, rehabilitating the stadium as part of a larger project. And it's surreal. And it's, it's wonderful, actually.
0: Larry, I know this is obviously uh, something that you're passionate about as well. Your dad excelled in many sports at that stadium. Give us your thoughts as this construction is going on. I would imagine this is quite emotional for you.
2: Yeah, it is, uh, Doug. As Brian said, you know, I don't know if it's a labor of love or a glutton for punishment. It's a good thing he said because it's been... There were many efforts to try to do stuff, and and nothing came to fruition. And then, through people like Brian and, you know, countless others that have worked tirelessly, it it's going to get done. It's kind of surreal that it's actually going to happen. You know, I mean, we had the groundbreaking, and you know, a lot of good people came out there that day. The go- the uh, governor was there, and a lot of luminaries, and it's just, it's really. A wonderful thing that is actually going to happen, that there's actually going to be a field there that kids are going to be able to make memories on, that kids are going to learn lessons that are going to hopefully carry with them the rest of their lives. And maybe we'll get a couple of baseball players, soccer, football, scholarship, what, whatever it may be. Um, I just, I look forward to it. And I think it's a, a, a wonderful tribute to a lot of people's tireless efforts.
0: I remember the first time uh, Jimmy Richardson, the historian there in Patterson, told me about Hinchlip Stadium and how important it was to him. And and we've become uh, very close through the years. He's a big fan of, of Sports Jam. But when it comes to your dad, Larry, he had so much success, early success in his career at Hinchliff, and not just in baseball, too. Yes, yeah. he was a three sport athlete. Yeah. What is it about your dad? I know he did not want to talk much about baseball, basically saying that was in the past. Let's move. Let's move forward. But what about, what aspect or attribute did Larry Sr. have that you think people should know and remember about your father?
2: Well, I think he was very grateful for the coaches, teachers, and teammates at Eastside because that's where the foundation began. That's where people encouraged him. That's where people coached him. That's where people befriended him as teammates. And as I've said before, you know, as a little kid wanting to hear about the stories of him playing baseball and tell me about this and that it was always about Hinchcliffe Stadium on Thanksgiving Day against Patterson Central when the whole city basically came out to watch him and you know that to him was a pretty like he had reached the heights of his athletic career as far as he was concerned you know the fact that those kids had such a a good good uh, effect on him as far as being teammates and not treating him any differently and you know that it was the whole town that you know, supported them. And the fact that they beat uh, Central a few times on Thanksgiving was memories that he never, never
3: lost any treasure forever.
0: Larry Doby gave his baseball hall of fame induction speech in 1998.
3: I was born in a little small town in South Carolina called Camden. And there are a lot of people had a lot to do with the success that I've had. Moved to Patterson, New Jersey. During high school, and those people had a lot to do with my success. From high, from Patterson, New Jersey to the Newark Eagles played against and with some of the greatest ball players that ever put on the uniform. From the Newark Eagles to the Cleveland Indians. And I must say this that that town treated me and my family with the greatest respect that any man could want. I want to thank the Veterans Committee for, for, for this honor, and certainly Gene Budick, president of the American League, all the people that work in the commissioner's office, American League, National League, you, you've you been just great, and, and I'm certainly glad that you can share this honor with me.
0: Brian, as you here and you've had conversations through the years with Larry Jr., what is it about the Dobie family that has impressed you and, I'm sure, given you even more of a boost to continue on in this effort to preserve this historic landmark?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I've had the great honor to get to know Larry and his family over the course of 20 years because that's when we started the organization. and 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 to me, I think... it it speaks volumes as to, you know, as great of a ball player as Larry Doby was, it pales into comparison as the type of father that he was. And I think behind every great father, there's a great mother. And, you know, Helen, of course, uh, you know, was was Larry's rock, you know, during those days, whether it be the Negro Leagues or whether it be, um, you know, into the Navy, Major League Baseball, the Hall of Fame, I mean, It's just really a real testament about, you know, what that means. And that's clearly, you know, spread down to to Larry and his sisters, for sure.
0: Obviously, you know, most people, when they think about breaking the color barrier, you know, Jackie Robinson comes up and many people know about your dad, Larry, but they, I don't think necessarily they realize that he went through just the same and even more at times when it came to racist remarks, where he could stay during the whole time he was playing it was a difficult time. It just, It's hard enough to play in the majors, but to have that on your shoulders, how often do you think about what intestinal fortitude and these wonderful qualities inside your dad that was able to put that aside and
2: still play great baseball? Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of uh... – hard for me to fathom it, you know, just the fact that they couldn't stay in the same hotels, they couldn't drink from the same water fountains, things like that are so foreign to to me. Thank goodness, you know, that it's sometimes it's just hard to imagine. But yes, the intestinal fortitude, you know, the strength and the fact that he didn't do it alone, you know, didn't do it alone. As Brian said, my mom was his rock, you know, but Mr. Beck was right there with him. And luckily for him, he had a few teammates that you know, accepted him and, and wanted him to excel because I, I think it would be almost impossible if, if the whole team was against him or even, you know, the majority of the team. You know, he had some people that were right there with him. And yeah, I mean, he always would say on the field, it, was, it wasn't it was easy, but he didn't feel the the sting of prejudice because they were all together. They were out there for a common goal. They were rooting for one another, even though let's say the other team, you know, wasn't, and it was a little bit more personal because it was my dad. But, you know, the loneliness, the separation, the racism he felt after that, when he couldn't eat with his teammates, stay in those same hotels or, you know, what what have you. So, yeah, I am very um, in awe of what was inside of him, what kind of person he was. You know, and he always said he couldn't have done it without God, he couldn't have done it without my mom. And obviously, Mr. Beck and his teammates were, you know, instrumental in in making him feel welcome. So it was something that, you know, I would not want to have to do. But, you know, I'm glad he did it. I'm glad he did it with a certain amount of dignity, a certain amount of success. And, you know, the idea that they could play together, they could live together, they could work together. And, you know, I think the thing that I'm most proud about my dad is that because of him and Mr. Robinson, others were able to dream and the door was open, you know, for people to come behind him.
3: You know, it's a very tough thing to look back and think about things that were probably negative, because you put those things on the back burner, you're proud and happy that you've been a part of integrating baseball to show people that we can live together, we can work together, we can play together and we can be successful together. And I'm very happy and proud that I've been a part of this baseball, and I'm still a part of
0: it. It's no surprise when you hear about his lifelong friendship with Monty Irvin, because Monty would talk about the same thing. They kept it inside, you know, some of the frustrations that they had to deal with, and really never really railed on that through the years yeah. on, you know, the, yeah. the difficult, it's, it was always about the successes and, and, and more importantly, helping others. And mm-hmm. those are the building blocks for today's great players. Some of them I know, appreciate it. Others might not even think about it at times, Larry. And yeah. I know that can be, that can be sometimes troublesome to know that, Hey, making all these millions of dollars and out there playing, but if it wasn't for Larry and if it wasn't for Monty and it wasn't for Jackie, they would never be on those diamonds and and thrilling so many of us uh, throughout the years. When it comes to Henslow Stadium, Brian, as you mentioned, it's been a long journey to try to, uh, to get it. Tell us what it will actually look like when all the construction is done.
1: Well, you know, because it is a historic building, it will look pretty similar to the way it looked in 1932. It's a very simple construction it's really just poured concrete on top of poured concrete. It's gonna be a little bit less seating to accommodate you know, ADA compliance. Uh, it will have artificial surface. It's going to have a track, which is a little strange because it's not to the regulations of high school track. But mm. uh, I think if you're sitting there, and I think that's also part of the purpose of historic preservation, you want to be able to have that feeling that if Larry Sr. were to be able to walk right into the stadium when it's done, he should be able to recognize it, so it's going to be recognizable as a historic stadium because of the simple construct. But it's still going to be have some of the modern amenities that you would hope to have at a sports and entertainment venue. So, can't wait to see it open.
0: Field of Dreams was a a movie, and they have a field to you know to talk about that. This is real. This is where some of the greatest players, and we had the Negro League players playing there, the the Black Cubans and the Black Yankees, and. And Josh Gibson played at this stadium. Many people who really know baseball say that maybe Josh was the greatest player that ever lived. So this has this is so exciting that this is going to come about because all this does too is not only preserve, but it continues the conversation for eons for families that come and they can learn about Larry Doby. They can learn about. Eastside High School. They can learn about the track and field, the boxing matches. And so it's it's opening up the history book. And those who love this show know that I love history, continues to open up that book wide. Larry, I know your dad was a jazz fan. As you know, I work for WBGO because why do I know that? Because yeah, it was wow. one day, my partner in the morning, our great announcer, the iconic Gary Walker, was talking about the Cleveland Indians because He's from Cleveland and he was talking about Tony Oliva and he got a phone call and he said, wait a minute, you're, you're pronouncing his name wrong. And he said, who is this? I said, well, this is Larry Doby. <laughs> and Gary goes, well, I guess you would know, wouldn't you? So he definitely was listening to WPGO yeah. and enjoying jazz. What about your dad? dad? What do you know about uh, his passion for jazz?
2: Um, I don't know where it started or came from, but I knew that he loved it, you know, ever since I came on the scene. And I also know that a few times if he was having a rough series that Mr. Vec would fly into that city and they would always go out and listen to jazz because Mr. Beck was a big fan of it also. And they bonded over that. So, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, when you hear certain names, um, you know, that are are iconic in jazz, you know, I might mention it. And just like matter of fact, he'd be like, yeah, well, I know him, we went to see him here. And it's it, that's kind of the way he was, you know, I didn't know that, like, you know, the people that kind of crossed his path, which now it makes sense because athletes and entertainers are sort of of the same ilk. So it wouldn't make sense. Plus being, you know, black entertainers and black athletes, there weren't that many, Doug. So it would make sense that they sort of did cross paths, but it was pretty cool. You know, to hear, you know, that he knew this guy, he knew that guy, you know, Dizzy Gillespie, Count Basie, you know, people like that. So, yeah, I mean, I know he liked it. It it, um, it, it kind of got watered down to me, but yes, I do. I'm not nearly as big a fan as he was of it, but certainly appreciate their talents and, you know, do like, you know, jazz, you know, too.
0: That's great. And I know that that Monty Irvin was also a huge jazz fan. We had him on the show here with Jimmy Heath when they were both still on this earth. And it was one of the most fascinating conversations joining Ernie Banks in Chicago. And who's at the table with them? Sarah Vaughn. Wow. wow. You know, like spending time. Jersey girl, right? Unbelievable. Uh, Unbelievable stuff. When it comes to talking about history, I don't think people, you know, can talk about it enough, Brian. And so when it comes to the stadium, what will there be, that people can read and see and learn?
1: Well, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, Hinchcliffe Stadium is within the boundary of the National Park. So, and, and part of that agreement, it wasn't there from day one. Uh, thankfully, Congressman Bill Pascrell, through an act of Congress forced that issue. Um, and the National Park Service will be partly responsible for interpreting that history. And they do a tremendous job. In fact, the best thing that's happened to Patterson in the last 70 years, in my opinion, is a national park coming to town. Uh, they are building a structure as part of the complex. That will be a two-story structure where the ground floor will be interpretive space. And the top floor might be either a permanent restaurant, a food hall, or maybe place where you can kind of rent out for events. So um, so that, that first floor of that new building, which is in under construction now, will have various uh, components to articulate that history. More permanent on the Negro League side, But I think rotational, such as the Central East Side rivalry, talking about the boxing, the auto racing history. It's got a great history, but make no mistake, baseball marked the time.
0: Do we have a date of when it will all be complete?
1: I don't think there is a, a hard, no pun intended, concrete date. But I know that the speculation would most likely be spring of 2023. It has to get done by the end of 2023 based on the tax credit stipulations. So they're on track for 2023 for sure.
0: The last time I think I saw you, Larry, was at the dedication. When you think of the the Negro leagues,
2: mm-hmm.
0: they're finally getting some recognition, Larry, after yes. all
2: these years. Yeah.
0: That has to make you feel good.
2: It does. And it it was a huge surprise to me. Like I didn't think that would ever happen, that they would recognize them as the major leagues and i don't think my father could have dreamed that that would have happened and for me it was awesome unbelievable and it, it was a wonderful feeling because basically what it said to me is it 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 justified the people who never got the chance it justified it validated their efforts that they knew that they were that good and i think my father's you know reaction would have been it's about time you know i think you know, he knew that he wasn't the best player. He was lucky enough to be selected by Mr. Beck. Everybody knew Josh Gibson was the best player in the uh, Negro Leagues, you know, but for those men that toiled in anonymity, you know, that they that people don't know their names, you know, not Satchel Pates, not Jackie Robinson, not Roy Campanile, not all those guys, but the guys that also played in there and they didn't know, it just validates what they did. And, and that, to me, You know, you can't get any better That at least their families know that my uncle, my father, my brother, however, you know, my the guy that lived down the street, those stories that he was telling were true. They were that good, you know, so that was a wonderful gesture on Major League Baseball and pretty thankful for that. And, um, you know, like I said, again, it just I'm sure those guys are resting even easier knowing that what they did is recognized as Major Lit.
0: In the lower half of the third frame, with two away and nobody on, Indian Doby rockets sings high, fast pitch for a trip to Mars. A lethal wallop more than 400 feet into the right-field cloud. Doby's round trip
3: is the first home run of the series. Now the tribe leads two to nothing.
0: Somebody else who... Basically uh, opened up the doors for Latin American players, was was one of my favorite players of all time, Roberto Clemente. And I remember seeing him in the 1971 World Series as a, as a youngster and in game five of the 71 World Series. So I was fortunate to, to see him play. But if I could go back in time and watch a team play, one of them would have been the 1946 championship Newark Eagles. So many great players on that team. I can imagine what kind of baseball was being played on that diamond.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the names are, are legendary. And I think there's a several hall of famers, lots of guys who got chances in the minor leagues and maybe were a little bit too old, but when they were in the minor leagues, they did excel, just didn't get the call up, you know, and yeah, a wonderful team from, from Newark, New Jersey, that played in the same stadium that the Yankees-Newark Bears played in when they weren't home. So, yeah, that I'd like to see how that team stacked up historically. I mean, I know they beat Satchel Paige's Monarchs, I think, in 46 for the championship, but I don't know who was on that team. But to beat any team that Satchel Paige was on is quite a feat.
0: You're listening to Sports Jam. I guess our Brian Lepinto president of the Friends of Hincheloe Stadium, as well as Larry Doby Jr. Hooray, hooray, the time has really come.
2: Hooray, hooray, the time has really come. Cleveland got Larry Doby, Brooklyn's got Jackie Robinson. Now the pitcher got scared, let Jackie walk. He stole second and third and come home on a ball. Hooray, hooray, the time has really come. Larry Doby, Brooklyn's got Jackie Robinson. Doby in the outfield, letting nothing get by. Jackie hitting so safe, you swat the ball and I don't. hey, time has really come. cleveland got Larry Doby, Brooklyn's got Jackie Robinson.
0: Taking a closer look at Larry Doby's stats, he was a power-hitting center fielder and a key member of Cleveland's pennant-winning teams in 1948 and 1954. Before joining the Indians, he starred with the Newark Eagles in the Negro Leagues for six years, leading them to that championship in 1946 that we talked about. A nine-time All-Star, seven with the Indians and twice with the Eagles, Larry Doby led the American League twice in home runs. And when he was in Newark, He was shortstop Monty Irvin's double play partner, then moving to center field in the American League, where Cleveland coach Speaker tutored him about playing the outfield. Larry, do you follow baseball now?
2: Yeah, I'm a pretty big fan. Pretty big fan. Not as, you know, not as um, in touch as I used to be as a younger guy, but um, yeah, I definitely follow it, love it, and you know, I'm so glad that they came to an agreement and that (laughs) we are going to have baseball this year because... I don't think people wanted to hear it. It was millionaires fighting with billionaires, and you know, after the pandemic and, you know, people being out of work and so forth and so on. You know, they didn't want to hear it, so I'm glad they got it done. They're going to play 162 games. And um, we'll see how the rule changes evolve over the years. People that are National League fans are not happy with the DH, but, (laughs) you know, it's another position for for a, uh, a position player, so we'll see how it goes.
0: Is there a certain player in today's majors that either reminds you of your dad or plays like your dad?
2: Oof, uh, I couldn't say. Um, no, nah, I don't know about that, but there are definitely some great players that, you know, my father would have, you know, enjoyed watching. I know one thing he thought Willie Mays was the best he ever saw. And, When he was alive, he thought that Andrew Jones was the closest to Willie Mays that he had ever seen. I thought that was a pretty nice compliment. You know, I mean, obviously not the hitter, but center fielder. And he did hit over 400 home runs. But, you know, as a center fielder, Mays could get them all. And that's the way he felt about Andrew Jones. Pretty good
0: compliment. I remember spending a little bit of time with Willie Mays at a a golf charity golf tournament uh, when I was attending Penn State. Uh, you know, my, my senior year, there he was the great Willie Mays right next to me. What, what a player, Brian, when we hear about baseball is back now that that's gotta be even a boost for this whole effort, because you want people to be talking about baseball and thinking about, you know, this wonderful stadium of the past and, and the, the bright future that it holds for, for so many players. Now, Will there be high school baseball there?
1: Yes, yeah, so that that's the plan. Um, it's going to be home to to high school baseball, high school football, I believe high school soccer as well. Uh, can't have the track because it's not to regulation. But, yeah, there's going to be uh, a lot of that, and I think also some summer league programs, at least I hope there will be. So this – I mean, imagine a young kid standing in the same area where where, where Larry's father stood. I mean – over 20 Hall of Famers played there, and that's a teachable moment for if you're a coach, you you need to share that because to, to both of your points, yes, these are major leaguers, even though we already knew that they were and that the Negro Leagues were a major league. Um, so I think that's really going to also resonate well with the kids if the coaches do their part and explain the history because it's more than just teaching fundamentals. You got to teach the history a little bit, especially in a place like Hinslip Stadium, and what better place to do that? And that's why – we at the Friends of Hinchliff Stadium were fighting to make sure that the home plate was returned to that exact location. To me, there's no point in restoring a historic venue like that without putting the reason why that venue is saved. Without the baseball, it's just a pile of concrete.
0: <laughs> Brian LaVento is the president of the Friends of Hinchcliffe Stadium. Obviously, everything takes money, Brian. And those who are, are, are listening to us right now and watching this show want to help out. What can they do?
1: Well, I mean, you know, the project is in full swing, so it's happening. So as far as anything financial, I don't think that's necessary at this juncture. I think it's really just following the project, making sure that you're aware of what's going on there. Um, If you see something you don't like, say something, you know, but at the end of the day, right now, I mean, it is on the path to to a reality. I mean, I invite anybody to to go to the falls to see the National Park and take a look at the stadium. You'll see cranes are out there. There's a lot of activity. So it's a rather active construction site, so that's the thing we've wanted to see for many years. Sure, we wish it would have happened sooner rather than later, but as the old saying goes, right, better late than never. And better late better than, than nothing, So,
0: Yep. I'm sure there's scholarship opportunities, though. Somebody wants to put some money towards uh, what's going on there. I'm sure that there could be some sports scholarships created for the players that uh, who will be uh, there at the stadium, so a lot of possibilities. First day – that that stadium opens and the actual games are played, Larry, you going to be there.
2: I certainly will do everything in my power to be there. Definitely. And, and what do you think
0: will come into your mind first?
2: Well, I think, you know, I'll think to myself, my dad played here, you know, and that he'd be happy knowing that some other kids are getting the same opportunity that he is to make some lifelong memories and some, lifelong friends and learn some lifelong lessons. So, you know, and he loved Patterson. So it'll make it even more special that those kids will get the same opportunity.
0: The last sports jam I had was with Trinity Rodman, who obviously has a very famous father in Dennis Rodman. She's a great soccer player and was the uh, National Women's Soccer League Rookie of the Year. I asked her about what it's like growing up with a famous dad. I'll ask you the same question. What has it been like? growing up with such a famous father?
2: Well, I mean, first and foremost, as Brian said, he was my father and I never got to see him play. So, you know, I had the advantages of celebrity, of maybe some entree to certain things because of who he was. And then I also had the other part that comes with it, that as playing as a kid and stuff, people expected me to be, you know, who my dad was. So it was a double-edged sword, but I think I navigated it pretty well. And, you know, I was very proud to be his son. And, you know, when you grow up as a little kid, not seeing him play, it's sort of you're detached from his abilities or his celebrity. But then when you get older and you kind of read about what he did and you learn about it, then, you know, you just become extremely proud of his efforts and the fact that his efforts open the door for the people that you do see on TV today. So he was, you know, number two. And it's funny because Buzz Aldrin, the number two man on the moon, was from Montclair, and they both from there. And then Yogi Berra grew up here, so everybody's a Yankee fan. So my father was, again, pushed to the background. But the nice thing was that Yogi and him were friends since his rookie year, and you know they were friends to my dad's death. And Yogi was one of the guys that treated my father well from the beginning. So there was no jealousy or anything like that. Yogi's Yogi. You know, one of the most famous recognizable faces in America. So to be second in the town to him, you know, it was just kind of typical of my father's attitude. Didn't say much, didn't toot his own horn. And, you know, that was kind of it. But again, wouldn't have picked anybody else to be my father. I know I didn't have the choice, but was very proud to be his son. And, you know, I just thought that him and my mom handled that whole thing pretty well. Amazing.
0: And I, I really wish somehow, some way you could have seen him play, you know, when, uh, you know, but obviously that was, that was impossible. When um, you mentioned Yogi, I, I think of the pressures of Dale Berra. you know, yeah. everybody wanting him to be, you know, how could, how yeah. could you live up to that? Uh, yep. I even played baseball with Bill Mazeroski's son. I was the catcher on the team and he was our second baseman, Darren Mazeroski. And we would have players that would just get on him you can't hit or you can't feel like you're dead or you hit, you know, just so yeah. jealous of, of the accomplishments of these
2: ball players. Yeah.
0: I never could understand it. Larry, tell us what you're doing right now.
2: Well, I'm a union stage in local one in New York city. So my uh, main job is at Madison square garden for all the concerts and entertainment there. I also work um, on wicked on Broadway. So I've been there for about 10 or 11 years. That's been a great, great run. And I also work for a little guy they nicknamed the Piano Man, Mr. Billy Joel. I've been part of his road crew for about 25 years or so. So I stay pretty busy and I feel pretty fortunate that I work at something that I love to do. And, you know, it seems that Broadway's back, concerts are back and Billy's back. So right now life is good as far as work is concerned.
0: Larry told me before we started this show, he goes, it's not very interesting what I do. <laughs> no, he's just got one of the most famous Broadway shows he's connected to ever. My daughter and I, our favorite show was the first one I took her to it was to see wicked when she was 12 years old, Larry, and she is 29 now and still wow. knows every word. Of, so of Doug, that. you
2: guys saw Christine Chenoweth and
0: Adina Menzel mm-hmm. and
2: Adina Menzel. Yeah. I wasn't there then. I, but you know, they're, their legend large. It looms large in that building. You know, it's like there are some great, great performers, actresses, dancers that are in that show, and they still remember. You know, when Adina and uh, Kristen were there, so that's been a great run for me. I
0: should have worn my Billy Joel shirt for for this. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Billy Joel as well. So, congratulations on a terrific entertainment career. That's that's great, and uh, you know, you you have surrounded yourself with uh, royalty. You come from royalty. You are royalty. You're Larry Dovey Jr. I've
2: been very fortunate. And we're going to be in Pittsburgh this summer. So I'll say hello to Mr. Clemente's statue and the bridge. And yeah, it's a beautiful ballpark. And, you know, I remember the 71 series also. So that was a coming out party for somebody who was overshadowed by Mays and Aaron and everybody else. And they realized wait a second, he's just as good as these guys, a little different, but just as good. So yeah, that, that's a great memory for me, the 71 series. And, you know, always nice to go to Pittsburgh.
0: Fantastic. Brian, as we wrap up this edition of sports jam, where did your love of baseball begin?
1: I mean, it began as a child. I mean, I think starting to play, you know, wiffle ball in the streets of Patterson, then eventually got involved with Patterson wreck and then started playing more and more. And then, you know, my dad told me that my enthusiasm for the game kind of reinvigorated his love for the game. And, uh, We would always go to like one Yankee game, one Met game a month and to grow up in Patterson about two blocks away from Hinchliffe and then learn that over 20 Hall of Famers played there. I mean, that's a piece of Cooperstown that's right in Patterson. So, you know, for me, it's it's just it was always early on and and it continues to this day. So
0: this is a volunteer position for you as you know, as the president of the friends. What's your day job?
1: Well I do I do some public relations work actually a, a lot of stuff within the community uh, for years though I was in sports and entertainment used uh, to actually work for major League baseball productions uh, some years ago and I do some freelance work actually in in your neck of the woods at Prudential Center in Newark so uh, that's a great place I enjoy it there very much so so um, yeah so you know definitely was involved in sports for quite a bit so uh, kind of took taking a lot of my professional experience and and taking that into a volunteer capacity was uh, seemed to be how it just played out
0: well it may have taken a long time but no wonder with brian and larry jr this is coming about because both of you have strong backgrounds in in sports and entertainment and boy there's going to be plenty of entertaining to be done at Hinchliff stadium in the near future we're looking forward to that but for me more importantly it's a chance to open up you know that history lesson and history book for everyone else to enjoy and to appreciate we're so at least I know, I'm so glad that the Negro Leagues are finally finally getting their due uh, because of all the stories that the people that I have talked to who have played the game in the Negro Leagues and, and all those who followed it. Congratulations on making this a reality because this is something that's going to last forever. I, I can't wait for the stadium to open. Larry, thanks for joining us. You're welcome, Doug. Thanks for having me. Brian, once again, congratulations on a you know, a Herculean effort to get this, uh, to get this finally done. And, uh, we appreciate your time as well. And good luck with the future of Hinchliffe and also the friends. Great job.
1: Thank you very much, Doug. Really appreciate that.
0: Sports Jam is a WBGO studios podcast. You can hear all the podcasts from WBGO by going to wbgo.org slash studios. You can also hear Sports Jam with Doug Doyle on the NPR list of podcasts or wherever you hear podcasts. Special thanks going out, a shout-out to Jimmy Richardson, who was the first person to tell me about Hinchliff Stadium. Until our next Sports Jam session, I'll see you at the game.